Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Digifish, the podcast where we talk about different ways of knowing when managing the oceans and fisheries. I'm Natalie Benoit. And I'm Sam Ramirez. We're both grad students at the University of British Columbia with the Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Today's podcast will be on a Mi'kmaq's perspective on how Indigenous knowledge is included in fisheries and oceans management. Today, we will be interviewing Tyrone Mulrooney, a member of the Mi'kmaq First Nation and an ecosystem monitoring technician in Terra Nova National Park in Newfoundland, Canada. All right, so my name is Tyrone Mulrooney. I was born and raised in Newfoundland, actually, uh, uh, I guess with uh, some background of some Irish and uh, also uh, I'm also a Mi'kmaq uh, Aboriginal here from the island. Uh, over the past 20 years, I've been working with Parks Canada as a uh, as a technician and public safety and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, and I really love my job. By the way, and I and I always get a, a great opportunity to uh, work with uh, a lot of students that uh, travel from all over Canada. So I uh, I enjoy that part of it as well, getting to meet a lot of people and uh, sharing experiences and telling stories and learning from them just as much as they can learn from me. So I I, I enjoy that part of the job as well. So and uh, you know I'm, I'm quite active in their big uh, community. I just uh, Actually, I just made some arrangements there. I'm, I'm making, I got to do a snowshoe making course now in a couple of weeks. And I do medicine walks, uh, edible plants and medicinal plants, that kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty busy on my downtime. Usually, uh, if I'm not working and I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, teach uh, some youth about uh, Aboriginal culture, that kind of thing. I spend most of my downtime at my uh, cabin in the woods, and uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that. So if I'm, I, I, I work in the woods, and then when I'm off, I, I go back in the woods again. So <laughs> that is pretty much me in a nutshell right there. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right to me from what I remember. Um, yeah, I remember being out in the field with you and you, you pointing out, um, you know, all, all these different plants and, and explaining their medicinal uses. And, and I really appreciated that. And, and it definitely, um, kind of got me doing it on my own, on like my separate time nowadays, even. What made you interested in working in fisheries? You know, I actually started my career a little late in life in regards to, you know, uh, you know, I worked in retail for a long time. I worked up in, uh, I worked for the Hudson Bay Company pretty much all across Arctic Canada. And my love was always nature and it seems like nature was always calling me and that kind of thing. And uh, finally, I bit the bullet and went back to school a little late in life. And, uh, you know, I just kind of followed my instinct and, uh, I, you know, I knew that uh, that's what I wanted to do and uh, went back to school and right away I uh, connected with uh, Parks Canada and I got a job, uh, you know, with these guys here doing all kinds of, uh, you know, work with uh, 
lots of aquatic work, lots of, uh, you know, inland field work, trees, plants, animals, fish. So, uh, I, you know, I, I was pretty much in my, uh, in my glee, which I, I, I still am actually. So I, I, I feel one with nature and as a Mi'kmaq, I also, uh, feel and feel that it, it's a, a part of my responsibility as a Mi'kmaq person to, uh, you know, work with nature, like, you know, I've worked with endangered species and that kind of stuff. So it just goes hand in hand for me in regards to uh, the career that I've, I've chosen to take. And uh, I really feel good about it. Great. That's awesome. And and with all that experience that you have, in, in your opinion, what defines a, a healthy ecosystem or a healthy ocean? Well, you know, I think a big thing is uh, is probably communication is a really big thing, Samantha. When people are speaking, we have to take time to listen rather than uh, a, a lot of times people are, are, are speaking to someone else and that other person is, is thinking about what their reply is going to be. But I think it, it's very important that we, we just concentrate on what the what the person is saying and absorb it and then, uh, you know, decipher it in your, in your head and give a response that way. But I think everybody deserves that, that opportunity that we, we have to listen mm. and whether or not it's, if you agree with it or not, we, this is how we open up a dialogue and then, you know, in a polite way, have a conversation with that person. And, and sometimes I find that, that even if I can change somebody's mind just a little tiny bit, sometimes I walk away from a conversation knowing that I know I didn't change their mind, but I put a seed in their head, and I think that's very important. That's great. That's uh, um, something to, to keep in mind, and um, you know whether it's our day-to-day -day life or whether it's in you know the big picture with policy and... Yeah, for sure. Same thing, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about climate, you know, climate change is a big thing and that kind of thing too, right? Mm -hmm. And I know, like, people, like, even in our own country, there are, you know, people in, in that live in different parts of the country that have a different take on things. So we just got to give everybody an opportunity to speak. Hmm. Great. Thank you. How long have you been working for the government of Canada? And this is kind of a two-part question um, because we're curious, curious about have you seen any changes in the inclusion of Indigenous knowledge while working for the government of Canada? Okay. Uh, I've been working for the government now for about 20 years. Actually, 22 years. And what I found in the past 22 years, uh, you know, through our government, that they have become a little bit more conscious in regards to listening to Aboriginal voices. And, you know, they're, they are willing to open up their minds a little bit more in regards to um, communicating with Aboriginal people in the sense of, uh, asking their opinions on whether or not it's the lay of the land, uh, you know, how the animals are, are, are 
how they're living and the same thing with fish in the ocean kind of stuff. I think they're, they have learned now that, uh, you know, the, the people who live on the land and on the water are the ones that have the knowledge about the fishes and the wildlife. So I, I, I've been finding that the government have been kind of uh, asking opinions from uh, Aboriginal people a little bit more than what they have done in the past. They're, they're not, uh, obviously science is a big thing, but knowledge is also just as important as science. Agreed. Um, next question. So what is the main difference that you see in the ideologies in ocean conservation between the Mi'kmaq community and government? The big difference? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I know there's many differences, but I guess whether well, like the most prominent yeah. or, yeah. Well, I, I think in my opinion, the, the big difference there is, uh, is well, it would probably have to be tradition. Um, you know, a lot of Mi'kmaq communities, you know, whether, not necessarily only, only Mi'kmaq, but uh, Inu and that kind of thing, even in Northern Labrador, you know, they, uh, you know, they fish for certain species during certain times, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And, and I think a lot of times, too, there seems to be a little bit of a rift between, you know, uh, local Aboriginal communities and the government. In, in the sense that the government would put their foot down and say, "I'm sorry, you're not allowed to uh, fish these kind, fish this species," and uh, pretty much with no explanation at all. And and that, and on reverse as well too. You know, there are times when Aboriginal communities will say, "Look, you know, uh, the population doesn't seem to be as good as what they used to be. Maybe we should take another look at this here." And then they'll come. The government may come back and say, oh, due to the science, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. Seems like the government is always laying out the science code all the time. The, the Aboriginal person, uh, they depend on the fish and the animals and the land to tell them what's going on. That's how, you know, that's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's everyone's remote and yeah, using the the internet as a source of communication. <laughs> okay, okay, so you're you're not together. No, no, we're not. <laughs> oh, yeah, none okay, of our classes okay. are together. Like we're oh, okay. the day that we can all be in the same room again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm still I'm still a little bit old school, you know. <laughs> work phone. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, yeah, like, I, I, geez, I only got this cell phone like a couple of years ago, and I only got that because they gave it to me for a Christmas gift. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, when, I, when I was talking to Natalie, I'm like, I don't know if, if Tyrone has internet or has a laptop. I was like, I don't know if a Zoom call will work. <laughs> 
I haven't zoomed yet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's, that's not a bad thing, Tyrone. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> Next question. You kind of already touched on this a little bit. I mean, if you feel like adding something, um, that's up to you. But the next question is, in your opinion, how can scientific knowledge and indigenous knowledge collaborate to ensure a sustainable and healthy ecosystem? So you did mention, you know, like listening is, is a huge, um, yes. is like something that we yeah. really need to work and, on. Yeah, and I, and I think a big thing too, Samantha, is in the, in the regards of how you would listen. So, you know, obviously, you know, get, get to know the communities, get to know the people in the communities, get to know the elders, you know, get to know the fisher persons, that kind of thing. You know, they'll be a little bit more comfortable in regards to what they say and how they say it. You know, like, Aboriginal people don't like, to, don't like, you know, to, for things to be so regimental. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if you're if you were in a bit more of a, a relaxed situation, you 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 could easily have a conversation with somebody. And in regards to getting to know, to know the community and that that kind of stuff, like get to know their culture, very very important. You know, uh, go there. Like if, you know, join in on, on a potlash. Join in. You know, ask questions about you know, smudgings and, and you know, ask questions about your culture, get to know the culture. It'd be a lot easier for them to open up and accept, accept the government within their communities if the government treated them just like normal human beings and, and if it was truly seen that they were caring and just wanted to get to know these people. You know, rather than regimental stuff, you know, and, my God, you know, talk to this boss, he was this person's boss, he was that that's person's boss. <laughs> oh my God, you know, Jesus. Everybody's frightened that other people half the time. Yeah, it makes sense. Because of people, you know, because of people's titles and stuff like that, right? Because, you know, Aboriginal people have been treated so poorly by the Canadian government. You know, everybody is, is going to be, they're going to be on guard. And if all of a sudden, you know, if you know, if representatives treat them like they treat them like the same, you know, mm -hmm. this this is how you mend fences, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. No. Um. Like Aboriginal or Indigenous communities are, you know, they they don't want the conflict. They're very conflict averse. So having like you said, these having to go through all these steps and stages and different titles, you know, speaking with uh, all these different representatives, it's like, let's just make it a bit more clear-cut and a bit more personal. Yes, make it more simple. Yeah. There's many obstacles to get through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... Um, our next question, I promise, we're almost, we're almost through, <laughs> um, is if you're comfortable speaking on the topic of the McMahon lobster dispute, in your opinion, um, how could this dispute have been avoided? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, you know, personally, it doesn't affect me. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm in another province, but, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do watch the news and that kind of thing. And I think, you know, getting back to, in regards to what I was saying before, in regards to having, you know, open, open communications and, and uh, getting to know somebody's culture and that, that kind of thing would have been mm-hmm. very, very important. You know, I think a lot of the conflict is coming from a clash between uh, indigenous people and non-indigenous people. Right, right. It, it, it's it's a pretty hard situation in regards to uh, you know getting getting three groups to hold hands. You know, and uh, a lot of times I, I find well. You know, even my own personal experiences too. Like even living in Newfoundland, I do find that uh, some people get a little bit. Um, I'll use the word jealous, I suppose, just to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but some people, some people get. Seems like they get kind of jealous in regards to. They don't like it when you can have it; they can't. It, it just seems to, uh, yeah, it just seems to make people angry. And, uh, you know, as an Aboriginal person, I pay taxes. You know, I, I live the same as pretty much anyone else lives here on this island. Like I said, I pay taxes and stuff. But I, how many times have people come up to me and said, oh, yeah, you don't ever pay taxes. But I pay taxes. <laughs> So, so what this, so what that's telling me is, um, I guess the message it, again it goes back to communication, right? So the message that people are, are sitting around their supper tables, oh yeah, these you know these Indians over here, should you, they got their name, they don't have to pay taxes, they get this, they get that, blah blah blah, but. Uh, you know, is, is it a lack of education? You know, big question mark, right? You know, uh, residential schools, for God's sake, so that only came out, you know, a while ago in regards to people kind of looking at that and saying, oh my God, I didn't realize that's happening in our own country, this kind of stuff. I, I lived in Arctic, I lived up north with the Hudson Bay Company, and there are reserves up there with uh, no running water. Now, would you believe that that's in Canada, right? You know, there are reserves up there with no running water. Hmm. Now, if, if Canadians will put their hands in their in their pockets for that situation in another country, you know, Canadians are known for being generous, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it, this exists in our, in our there's a, it's just, our northern communities, it's a third world country up there, man. You know, people are desperate up there. But Canadians don't seem to want to even think about that, right? So again, I asked the question, is it, is it due to uh, a lack of proper communication? Education, education, communication. Is it, is it because of that? And, uh, you know... Those things I put in the government's hands, right? Mm-hmm. 
Am I going off topic? No, no, this is great. I actually um, <laughs> like had just had a conversation with someone about the, the same thing, the lack of education in terms of um, the history of our Indigenous communities and, and the fact that just, just now, this is when yeah. you have courses that are accessible to you in, in university that allow you to learn about in, indigenous knowledge and, and two-eyed seeing and the incorporation of different ways of knowing. And right. I, I was talking with some individuals who, who graduated, you know, 10 years ago, and they did not have that available to them. Like, why is it just coming yeah. out now that we are, are learning yeah. about our history? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so like, I, I, I'll just tell you a little story now. Like, I was raised, I was raised, and knowing I was Aboriginal, but not through my parents, but like through my cousins and stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I would mention that to my parents, they would put the kibosh on that right away. You were not allowed to, you were not allowed to mention it. Wow. You know, you were not allowed to mention that. And you know, for years, as I was growing up, I I, I, I had this a bit of an anger for my mother in, in the sense that, you know, why mom? Why, why wouldn't you talk to me about my people and my culture and this kind of thing? You know, no, don't be so foolish, you know what, you know. And then, then when I got older, then when I got older, I realized that it wasn't my mother at all. It was society. Because when my mother was growing up, it was dirty and bad to be an Indian. Mm. So she had to suppress that and get that out of her mind altogether because society would treat her bad. So, and I didn't realize that until I was much, much older. It wasn't my mother that I was angry, that I should have been angry with. It was society itself. You know? Yeah. And when you look at it in, in that aspect, it's like, wow. And again, that all goes back to what you were just saying, the lack of education in this country. Mm. You know? So... Yeah. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, <laughs> as you should, as you should. If it had to been from day one, when they were kids, they were educated in, in the sense of uh, Aboriginal people in this country and, and that kind of thing, I think we would be getting along a hell of a lot better than what we're getting along now. You know? Yeah, yeah. if there was a better understanding of each other. And, yeah. 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 This podcast is recorded on our side from the unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Salem-Tooth First Nations. We used music created by the band Tribe Called Red from the Mohawk and Cayuga First Nations. We'd like to thank our speaker today for sharing their knowledge on the topic of oceans and fisheries management and our guests for listening. Tune in next episode for a Haida graduate student's perspective on how Indigenous knowledge is included in fisheries and oceans management.